Hi, I'm Mike from the Genuine Chit Chat Podcast, where we have honest conversations with interesting people. I speak to a wide variety of guests, including CEOs of businesses, psychologists, authors, musicians, travellers, people suffering with physical and mental illnesses, and everyone in between. Where we speak about a large variety of topics, including music and movies and pop culture, but also some more controversial topics, including drug reform, political correctness, and many more. No subject is off limits. You can find us in all the usual podcast places, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts, as well as on YouTube. And you can follow us in all the usual social media places. So if you still appreciate the art of conversation and want to hear honest conversations with interesting people, then be sure to check out Genuine Chit Chat in all the usual places. everybody welcome to episode 26 of mandatory marvel and dc the show that likes to take a look back at the biggest and best storylines from the big two of comics i'm your host max Byrne, and i hope you'll continue to join me each and every episode as we continue to cover the classic moments that have stood the test of time and crossed over into popular culture now after a little spell on the sidelines with covid and what have you we are finally back for our 26th installment and who better to have as an extremely special guest than this guy. No stranger to this show, this fine gentleman is one of the most prolific podcasters gracing the medium today. Not only is he the man behind two amazing shows, the delightfully eclectic Genuine Chit Chat and the wonderful Star Wars Comics and Canon show, he is also the brains behind a brand new venture on the Comics in Motion Network, more of which shortly. He's the king of chit chat, the sultan of Star Wars, the paragon of podcasting, the sunshine over Southampton, and the man dropping knowledge and eloquence into our podcasting apps over and over again. It is, of course, my friend and yours, Mr. Mike Burton. Mike, how are you, sir? Well, after that, I'm a lot better. I always, it's one of those things, if there's ever a reason to come and chat with you, um, not only just the comic love and all that, but your introductions are just Oh, they're incredible. They just—it's one of those things that I know in the Discord chat it comes up occasionally. And it's just always—it's so delightful. Like whenever with every uh, with any of your shows, I just listen to it. It's just like the intro is one of my favorite parts. Which probably—that's <laughs> not to say the quality of the show isn't great, but it's just—it's so. It brings a smile to my face, whether or not I am the guest. So, you know, thank you so much, Max. It's always just, it's delightful to chat with you, even without the ego-flattering intro. <laughs> well, Mike, I speak the truth, you know. <laughs> for better or for worse, I speak the truth. Uh, but yeah, thank you. Um, you know, the uh, intros is probably the, uh, the best bit of the show. So uh, if, we can, if we can keep vaguely going uphill for the next hour or so, then we're on to, uh, we're on to something of a winner. Um, but how are you, sir? Enjoying life at the moment? Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm busy, which is always good. I mean, I'm always busy, so it's just life in general. But yeah, I've I'm still homeworking as of recording this. I think in two weeks I'm going back into the office for three days a week, in the office two days back at home, which is nice because I was just like, I'm finally go back, but I was like, I just want a couple of days at home because it's I do a lot of my podcasting now during my lunch breaks at work. So most of the time I record Star Wars Comics and Canon on a Thursday, and I normally edit on a Friday. So I've managed to get. Thursdays is one of the days I can work from home. So it's just like, yeah, I get to <laughs> keep on doing that because I'm just I've got podcasts coming out my ears. And this month of uh, July is just 
it's guest month for me. I've, I had a lot of podcasts recorded for Genuine Chit Chat all kind of in the bank. Uh, and then I was like, right, I don't need to do any more interviews. I have anyone else on for a little bit. Yeah. Let's just go on loads of other people's shows. And obviously I'm on your show. There's a few other bits and pieces in the background that I'm kind of appearing on. It's going to be one of those things that people find. I know Dave mentioned it once. Um, it might have been when I last came on, actually. It was just this thing where you don't hear me being a guest on anything. And then for a month, I'll be on everything. <laughs> and it's just because that's there's a quite a few shows that I've been on recently, and they're not getting released until like August either. So it's just going to be little clumps where just sometimes in the comics emotion feed or sometimes in other places, yeah. you just can't get away from me. <laughs> well, August will be Mike Burton month, you know. What a, what, a, what a great way to spend your summer listening to, <laughs> listening to a lot of Mike. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's because I'm on holiday as well for, well, I'm trying to around England with Megan going up to the Lake District for five, six days and going nice. to, well, I'm actually, I'm going up to, coming up to Manchester sort of area. So I'm coming up north. So I'm going to vaguely speak to people in, um, in Discord and stuff and see who is generally about in the area at certain times to see if I can meet any of you lovely people in person. Because I know we're split, we're spread across the country, but there's a couple, mm. I know London, and then I know that you and Chris are near each other as well. And Dave is yeah. not too far i know he drives up and uh, sees occasionally so you know in that period of time i'm not going to be actively podcasting but all the shows I'm, like, I'm being on will be airing so it's going to seem like i'm not doing anything uh podcasting wise but yeah it's uh it's a lot of fun i'm i'm, I'm doing very well thank you excellent excellent now as we just on the theme of your sort of podcasting output, as we said in the intro there, obviously you've got the, your two shows, which are very well established. And we've, we, last time you were on, we talked about those, but as I said at the top there, you sort of the um, brain child, if you will, behind this brand new show on the comics emotion network, the, the book club, which mm. the premiere episode dropped. Was it last week? Or the, as we record this, anyway, I think it dropped last week, didn't it? Or the, yeah, week, before, or the week before early July. Yeah. Week. I can't remember when it dropped. I should probably know that. <laughs> I edited it and I put it, got, got it ready, yeah. got it ready for release, and then it came out. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, early July-ish. <laughs> yeah, I think it was. I think it was last week or so. Uh, certainly within the last ten days. Um, so yeah, episode one is out there, and obviously it's a brand new show, which you're the sort of instigator of. Um, for anyone who's not checked it out yet, what can people expect to find when they uh, check out this brand new show, The Book Club? Yeah, so in essence, it's funny because actually myself and Matt B. Lloyd of Classic Comics had the same idea at the same time. And I, I messaged, I think it was either Dave or Tony about it. And I think it was Tony and I mentioned him. I was like, oh, I've just got this idea. And he was like, have you been talking to Matt? And I was like, no, why? And he was like, well, Matt literally like two days ago said the same thing to me. So I've taken all the credit. <laughs> I, I, I spoke up first in Discord so that I had the, <laughs> I had the whole thing behind me of the idea of the book club. Yeah. But I, I think... It's one of those things where, where myself, I love doing Star Wars shows, you know, it's great, but I wanted to have a show that was monthly, so it wasn't too much pressure for people, and that people can go on and be a host and talk about the comic or book that they really love, even if it doesn't fit into their own show's parameters. And what I'm hoping is in the years to come, you know, for the first year or so, it will probably mainly be comics and motion hosts being the hosts of the shows. Yeah. But the goal is to kind of widen the horizons. So it's like, there's a lot of people who are like, Comics emotion adjacent, shall we say? You know, I think Scott Weatherly's part of the family. He's yep. like a cut. And then you've got sort of other podcasters who've collaborated with us a few times, who've been on certain shows quite a few times. I know there's a lot yeah. of uh, other guys like Spider Dan and I think Aiden from Classic Comics. There's a, there's a lot of people, yeah. uh, especially in the Twitterverse, who are you know part of the extended family of Comics emotion. And people like that who don't get to um, host a show. I want them to be able to host it and, and spread the word. And it's things like you know your mandatory Marvel and DC. You 
choose, you don't get to choose the comics you tackle. It's the guest. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. it's just like, there might be like your absolute all time favorite comic and no one has mentioned it yet. So like that sort of thing. And obviously Matt B. Lloyd, he does classic comics. So they're only in the golden age between like the late thirties and sixties, I think. So yeah. like, and I know he reads a lot of comics and there's some stuff after that period of time that he really loves. So I yeah. just thought, and obviously I do Star Wars comics, although I did start, <laughs> I did the first episode of Star Wars comic anyway. Um, <laughs> But that was because, yeah, that was just fun, isn't it? Um, so it, it was just one of those things where I wanted to do a monthly book club where there's a different host each episode with a different array, array of guests being able to talk about the thing that the host is really uh, intrigued by and excited by. And the next month's one, Dave Horrocks, the podfather, with a co-podfather. We've got Chris and, uh, Chris and Dave are both the podfathers of Comics in Motion. <laughs> yeah. And um, so he's doing Mouse, I think it is, yes. uh, by Art Spiegelman, um, which I found out Megan had a copy of that randomly that she's never read. So I found it in the in the water of the other day i was just like what are the chances of that um so i'll probably be on that show as well um and yeah it's it just a way to try and widen horizons really of just allowing people to talk about comics that they may not necessarily be able to that don't fit into certain parameters and you know if you're the host as well that hosting a book club it's also you know you get a lot of people different perspectives yeah and it is one of those things where you know having one-on-one is a lot of fun and you know we can get into really deep uh, themes and a lot of stuff but with the book club the idea as well of giving people a month between episodes is kind of you know I, I know that myself and a few other people in comics emotion that we want to keep up with everything but it's just not feasible to be able to read everything all the time you know tony obviously has episodes out every week and so do i and that alone is just loads of reading of star wars and indie comics and it kind of was going to be that thing of oh in a month's time there's going to be an episode about this if you've got this or if you are interested by this keep an eye out and then it, it kind of allows that rather than it being like, oh, and here's the episode and it's all about this thing. It, it, was, it was kind of a mixture between stuff. But yeah, it, it was, it's not the most original idea. And I have to give Matt B. Lloyd some credit because if I hadn't piped yes. up, he would have done it as well. Yes. I was just the first one to the finish line and I'm the one who volunteered to you know, host and edit the first episode and faff about with the graphic design. So yeah, that, that's basically the, the world's longest elevator pitch of something as simple as a book club. <laughs> <laughs> well, it depends on the size of the building, doesn't it? Oh, um, nice. Yeah, but uh, yeah, no, it's, it's a great concept. And like you said, it allows for a lot of sort of variety and different voices and just, you know, just a, 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 rather than sort of the tunneling down to the things that we all like to cover and the various shows that tend to be centered around one one genre or one sort of area of, of of reading this there's literally no rules to this is there it can literally be anything yeah. anyone wants to to pull forward as as something that they're passionate about and want to you know discuss about you know with people it doesn't have i guess it, that's part of it as well it doesn't have to be like-minded people does it you could have someone on the show who takes a complete sort of opposite viewpoint of the of the book you want to cover you might have something you love and they might think it's a stinker or vice versa and that you know again it's going to make for some great conversations some great shows isn't it yeah that's the idea and obviously i'm trying to like superheroes for dummies are the kings of community in the comics and motion network at the moment where they get the most amount of listener interaction and stuff and it's kudos yeah. to them they've managed to absolutely smash it with all that but it's that sort of thing where i was like you know Wars comics and canon doesn't need that i do q and a's every 25 or 50 episodes or whatever and that's that's fine but like i also was thinking well if we had a book club it does get people in a bit more and if people do want to ask questions or be involved in some ways it's a lot more of an organic way of doing it as well um so yeah it was one of those things and as just the darth vader episode i did with um dave and uh, matt b lloyd that was really good because we all have slightly you know i'm a star wars super nerd i consume 
you know, I've read relatively every canon comic. I've consumed <laughs> all the series. I've watched all the films like a billion times. Yeah. Whereas like, Matt hasn't even, I don't think he's even seen the last of the sequel trilogy. He hasn't watched The Mandalorian and things like that, right. which is fine. He, he, you know, everyone's a Star Wars fan. If you enjoy Star Wars, you're a Star Wars fan. I'm not a gatekeeper. People can consume whatever they, however much they want or however little they want. Mm-hmm. It's good getting his uh, perspective on things from someone who comes from classic comics, hasn't consumed all the Star Wars uh, content that me and Dave necessarily have. It's good to hear that because he had some interpretations of certain parts of Vader that was really interesting and it's, you know, that's why I do genuine chit chat. I want to hear other people's perspectives. So it's kind of me sneakily being like, here's the elements I like about my other show that isn't on Comics Emotion. And let's try and Comics Emotion it and combine all the best parts, in air quotes, yeah. from all the other shows as well. So that's people like Tony as well. Tony's like, he goes into such deep dives in so many indie comics things that I listen to of his. And obviously, I want to hear him do that sort of thing on not just indie stuff. Mm. And obviously, he can't just be, it can't just be you and him <laughs> doing Mandalorian Marvel DC constantly. So it'd be nice for when he eventually uh, is at the helm, mm-hmm. him to basically be like, here's my interpretation that's something no one has ever thought of before because he he's got some incredible interpretations of stuff. And they'd be like, what do you guys all think? Yeah. And it's just going to be interesting to get m- even more people hearing what Tony thinks as well. So there's so many reasons to it. And uh, I'm just excited to kind of, as you know, me and Dave were at the helm, or I was at the helm and then Dave's at the next one. And slowly yes. it's just going to be, I will basically just be backseat watching from afar and then I can edit episodes if people can't. But aside from that, I just want it to be kind of self-sufficient in, in a way where it kind of, as it's a monthly thing, it should just keep riding itself going. And, and it can be of two people if, if for whatever reason people can't make it, we can pull other people in. So hopefully it'll, uh, it'll work out in a year's time, we will see. Well, I'm sure in a year's time you'll be uh, sitting on the, uh, what do they call it? Sitting on the hill of success, you know, uh, of, a, <laughs> of, a, of another great... No, it's a, it's a great concept. And uh, I'm looking forward to the next episode and the one after that and the one after that. And uh, obviously diving in myself uh, here and there to uh, partake in the conversation about whatever uh, book I want. Like you said, it'd be nice for a change for me to pick a book <laughs> rather than <laughs> exactly. someone else. Uh, and, and obviously uh, jump in on uh, what if someone else picks a book I particularly want to uh, chat about. So yeah, it's going to be a good one. I can, uh, I can feel it. So great stuff. Um, but obviously we're here. We're here for Mandatory Marvel in DC. This is, I think, it's your third appearance on the show, if memory serves. Yes. And in a way, we're sort of complete, completing your Bat Trilogy tonight. Because on your first appearance here, we did The Killing Joke. Mm-hmm. On your second, we did uh, Death of the Family from the New 52. And here we're kind of bringing that era to a close, actually, with the one you've chosen uh, for tonight, which sort of ends that New 52 uh, Batman Joker storyline. So what is it? Enlighten the listeners, Mike. What have you selected? So I have selected, um, as you say, the New 52 is Batman. is Volume 7, Endgame, which is issues 35 to 40. And it's, it's very interesting. I know we'll get into it, but it was quite cool that this has some specific direct links to Killing Joke as well, which I really, really liked. And it's just one of those things where this kind of feels like the Joker trilogy in some sort of ways. I know there's like, you know, Death in the Family, which is a massive Joker um, story, which I've I've bought that as well recently. And I'm like, I'm going to reread Killing Joke, I'm going to read Death in the Family, and then I'm going to get onto Three Jokers because I've bought that. But I'm like, no, I must wait. And then there's just lots of like Batman-esque things I'm getting into. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, with this one, it was... Uh, my Megan, my my partner, her brother, he's massively into Batman and he's yes. got like basically every Batman comic. He lent me Dark Knight Returns as well that I recently read, uh, Hush, which I read. And then I said, just 
any other cool ones. And one of the ones uh, he let me end game, he was like, that's a really good one. So give that a go and things. So it was like, it, it's just quite a nice way to end. I'm going to come on Mandatory Marvel DC again. I'm just not going to aim to do Joker. Because I. the thing is, as much as I love talking with you about Joker, I don't want us every time to just go on about how amazing Joker is. Yeah. I think this is like a really, really good way to end it because there's so many there's so many elements of Joker in this that are, you know, still very much the Joker from most other incarn- uh, incarnations of it. But there's also, it's very dark. And it's also the first issue of this. I, f- I forgot, because I'd read this, I think I read this when I, uh, when you and I did Death of the Family, you know, which is about a year ago now. And I read this and I was like, oh, that's amazing. I'll have to do that next on, you know, yeah. Mandatory Marvel DC. And then I reread it, you know, in the last couple of weeks, you know, once or twice. That first issue, I forgot how incredible it was. Yeah. It could be always the first issue could be something in itself. So I'm just I'm really excited to be able to finish the uh, the Joker trilogy with you and then we'll be able to get on to um some other cool stuff as well. But this is this I don't know if this is my this might be my favorite Batman comic of the ones I've read, the limited ones I've read. It is just it's so good. <laughs> I love it. Like what what your sort of thoughts on obviously this and connecting to the new fifty two? Um I love this one too, Mike. I really do. I'm so glad you chose it because, again, it gave me the perfect excuse if anyone needed to go and reread it myself. And I haven't, I haven't read this particular sort of run for probably four or five years, I would say, to be honest with you. I bought the original trade as it came out um, mm. and then I've, I've read it sporadically over the years. Um, but I... The New 52 era is very divisive amongst the DC fans and some hate it, some love it. I'm neither. I'm sort of in, in between because I think some of it was wonderful, some of it awful, for want of a better word. But with Batman, I think the Batman run in the New 52 is, is as good a Batman era as there's been over the past 81, 82 years, however long it's been now. I mean, it's all, it's all a matter of opinion, obviously. You know, some people will hate, hate it and prefer another era. But I think it was brilliant because what they did was, unlike a lot of the New 52, they didn't throw the baby out with the bathwater and completely reinvent batman they changed practically nothing about batman and batman's status quo and the bat family and what have you and just concentrate on great stories which is what this is isn't it it is superb and keeping that you know they had the dream team involved scott snyder writing greg capullo art and they had those two together all through this run all through this new 52 run you know they didn't chop and change the artist you know didn't bring another writer on board at any time so they were allowed just to tell a story over you know X amount of issues, a really long, drawn-out story. You know, they would lay seeds. You know, like we, on our last discussion when we did Death of the Family, there's the re- events of that are directly frame what happens in this run in exactly. Endgame. You know, exactly. So there's a lot of long-term planning. So I think it's superb, and it's just it's just a really, really good story, isn't it? I mean, it's it's action-packed, um, it's violent, it's creepy. There's a real mystery element to which we'll get to about the Joker and is he something more is he you know is there something else going on with him so there's just so much to go on it is such a great book and um god i mean like you said that first chapter first issue if you will issue 35 that is one of the greatest sort of fight scenes i think in in modern comics um i mean just to say to everyone you know spoiler alert we were i should have said it at the start but we you know we will be spoiling stuff here so if you haven't read it and you don't want to know about it before you do you know perhaps stop the show go and read it and then come back so (laughs) you have been warned fair warning okay um so yeah this first chapter my god mike i mean it just it has everything doesn't it if you want to explain to the listeners what indeed you know in a nutshell we get in that first that first chapter 
Yeah, yeah. So it basically, you know, without going into the exact specifics, it starts it, it starts and there's like a big fog going over Gotham and you don't know why, and then it does, you know, a few days or hours beforehand. Mm-hmm. And the essence of the first issue is just blunt one sentence is Batman fighting the Justice League. <laughs> yes. And it's just that that's as simple as it is. But the, it's so complex in so many ways of, you know, the reasons they do it and things. And I think the thing that I love the most about it is Batman's inner dialogue in this is so on point. Like I, I am not, you know, I've seen all the Batman uh, movies and now I've read quite a few Batman stories. But what I love about this specifically is that even if you've got a peripheral knowledge of Batman and the greater DC world, or if you've got, you just know about, you know, very, very tiny knowledge, it, you don't need to know loads of stuff necessarily. And it's just when he's got the monologue going and it's like, you know, uh, one of them shows, I think, is Wonder Woman fights him first. And then he's like, okay. And he's got in his head, right. Because he's got the the, um, the contingency for if anyone in the Justice League goes bad, he's got a plan. He knows what to do with them. Mm-hmm. And he's like, okay, for Diana, I know to do this. Okay, for Aquaman, I know to do this. Oh, if Cyborg shows up, I know to do this. And he's like, please just don't let the big guy show up. Please just don't. The, the contingency for him is so, so close to the grain. Mm-hmm. And then he shows up and it's just like, yeah, you, you really feel the weight of it and it feels like obviously one of the geniuses of this um this collection is that this is the first issue of six mm. and you're thinking how, how how do you start with batman fighting basically the whole core justice league mm-hmm. you know minus maybe a couple how do you start with that and keep the momentum going and yeah they he does like the, the writer you know scott snyder does and it was just it, it blew me away now as you, as you obviously as a as a long-term DC fan and things like when you read this and for the first time, did you going into it, did you know that they were going to appear? Was this quite a big thing in the, in the community or cause obviously I've just come into this like, Oh, this is a cool book. Oh man, the justice league are in it. I don't know if, if that w- it was quite a, a big moment in the DC community to your knowledge at all. Or have you felt that? Well, they've kind of given it away. Cause I think the individual cover art was a, a picture of, um, Batman in sort of this sort of um, sort of tableau picture of him in sort of various stages of combat with those four, with Superman, uh, Wonder Woman, Flash and Aquaman, which are the four people he fights in, in this scene. Um, so it kind of gave it away that, oh, shit, he's going to actually fight these guys, but he didn't know why. I mean, mm. when, that's the great thing about this fight as well. Until Superman appears, you don't actually know why they're fighting him it's never explained you know i mean he's literally just in um i think at the start he's with alfred and alfred's daughter julia and they're in this sort of um safe house that they've seized from the, from the court of owls and and they're just sort of in there explaining how they can use it as an operations base in the city center and literally wonder woman flies out literally out of nowhere in just out the next panel just flies through this window and gets Bruce Wayne by the head and puts him face first through a wall. And, <laughs> and, and that, that to me is, is just, it's like, how on earth did he not like get like a fractured skull? He's not even got a cut face. I mean, you know, at the end, of, I know when he's Batman, he has all the, the, well, we'll get to in a minute, this wonderful suit of armor that he wears, but there he is just Bruce Wayne. He's got no sort of accoutrement on and protective cowl. And she literally puts his face through a wall and, yeah. I, you know, I'd like to think, you know, I could, uh, I could take a bit of punishment, but if someone put my, through, <laughs> my face through a wall, I think I'd probably be dead or, or unconscious. And it's, it's, um, it's quite, quite shocking, really. But it is great, isn't it? Because, again, it's, it's, just, it's nonstop. And, and what's great about it as well, this, this armour that he gets that he's obviously got 
on standby because he's able to say to Alfred, just I think they call it Fenrir, don't they? This suit of arm, it's got like code name Fenrir, F F E N R I R, and he's able to say to Alfred, you know, exact Fenrir protocol or something like that, and within no time at all, the the suit's there. So he's obviously got it on standby just in case, you know, this situation's called for. But it, it, that's the genius of Batman to me. He's so, always so prepared, isn't he? You know, he's never, he never goes into a situation blind. Um, mm. and, and, and it's great as well because they're, they're literally trying to kill him as well, aren't they? They're not, yeah. they're not trying to rough him up, capture him, you know, trap him, do this or that to him. They are there purely to, to take his life, but his methods are non-lethal. He's not used, you know, he doesn't want to hurt them. There is, there is friends and colleagues, you know, he doesn't know at that point until Superman appears, what, what the story is. Um, so again, it just shows how great Batman is and the scene itself. Once it wants that suit of armor on, it's, it's ingenious because he's not just like fighting with this suit of armor on and relying on that to sort of use his force. Every method he has for defeating his Justice League member is a different sort of methodology, isn't it? And, and, and is more about brains than brawn, which is quite interesting, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. And it's, it's cause with, with the details, you know, he's got the, um, I've made some notes about these things and I'm looking in the comic as well. Cause it's just the artwork in this is just incredible. Um, yes. Every page could almost be a poster in itself. It's just yeah. phenomenal. And, um, so I've got the note here and it's basically um, the bind of veils and it is in essence, it's just the anti lasso of truth. Which yes. I was like, that's just, has that shown up in, in Batman before? I, I assume it has, but I'd never, I'd not heard of that. I'll be honest. I don't recall. Maybe, maybe mm-hmm. not. I'm not sure. So if it hasn't, that's such a cool idea. Yeah. Um, but um, either way, it, it's such a cool thing to just have. And like, you watch her basically kill Batman. You're like, what? Yeah. And, and then it's like, oh, he's made her think that. And you're like, okay. And yeah. then you see the gravity of the situation when that happens. As you say, like a lot of the time when you get these, like take the movie Batman versus Superman as an example, you know, I know that that is quite a divisive film, but in that, Superman is not trying to kill Batman. He is just trying to hold him off and stop him killing him, essentially. Yeah. And that fight, in a lot of ways, when you have, you know, it happens in Avengers Assemble as well. Although they're quite aggressive to each other and things when they first meet, mm-hmm. they're not explicitly trying to murder each other. They're more trying to incapacitate, maybe, mm-hmm. and, you know, rough up and kind of, be able to, you know, back off. But in this, you watch that and you go, oh, no, she would have killed him. Yeah. 100%. She would have just flat out murdered Bruce, um, Bruce Wayne. And then it moves on so quickly and you think, oh God, God, you managed to deal with that. And then it's like, boom, Flash is here. And it's just, they don't, I think there's no wasted space at all. I don't think there's any wasted space in this whole uh, collection, but I think this first issue is, is the most perfect amount of the dialogue's great, the artwork's great. And it's just when each member of, of the Justice League is introduced, or even when, you know, uh, Cyborg and Green Lantern don't actually show up. Yeah. Um, but he mentions this as a little comment of saying, you know, if Victor comes up, I've got, you know, this yeah. thing. And yeah. uh, it's, it's just really cool. And I like, one of my favorite bits about it, funnily enough, is literally, it's about the Flash. And it says he put more money, um, it says, um, I've put more money into this suit that, um, about... 60% of the world's nations put into their respective militaries. Yeah. A good deal of that money would just went towards the protocol of one man. And it's literally yeah. just so his, the computer in his suit can process the speed of the flash fast enough to react to the flash attacking him. Yeah. And I was like, that is such a cleverly well thought out, like line of dialogue. They didn't, you know, Scott Snyder didn't have to write that level. He just could have said, I've just sprayed the stuff on the floor and it makes the flash slip up. Like that would be fine. But yeah. they go into the detail of exactly what Batman does and that kind of monologue which makes you 
it, it brings you along for the ride a lot. I, I really yeah. like that where he says how much it costs and like obviously, oh yeah, Bruce Wayne is a billionaire, but he spent so much money mm. and it just goes to show when you have supervillains and things, yeah. when they fight against certain superheroes, how much you have to go into trying to, you know, there's one thing to kill the Flash, but to be able to stop him without killing him, mm. that's normally, that's the hardest decision to make a lot of the time, isn't it? You know, trying yeah. to incapacitate someone, killing people is the easy way out. Yeah. And that's something that lives with Batman a lot in this, which I, I really like. It continues the theme of why this and the other Joker story is so dark. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. I mean, that is, I mean, it's crazy in a way, isn't it? Like that line you just um, pulled out there about how much the suit costs and what have you. It's crazy because if that's more, like you said, it's more than 6% of the world spend on their military. So we're talking billions, not a billion, multi-billions. Yeah? <laughs> yeah. And so he literally spent all that money, an, an unthinkable amount of money into building a suit that he might never have to use. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's that prepared and he's that sort of thinking that, you know, if any of these people do end up going rogue or in this case sort of uh, mind altered, then I've got to stop them. And so he spent this un- unfathomable amount of money on this suit that in an ideal world, he will never ever have to take out of the uh, back closet for want of a better word. And again, it just, it's, it just shows how obsessed the man is, isn't it? That he'll go to those lengths on a on a what if, just in case kind of scenario. It's crazy, isn't it? It is, yeah. And it just this is one of the things I like about this. This gets me into Batman the most, you know, yeah. this sort of story. And it's just you can tell the writers really know Batman. And yeah. as you said, sort of towards the start, with with this, unlike a lot of elements of the other New Fifty Two, which I've heard about, is this builds on pre-existing Batman rather than wiping the slate clean. And it is things like the Bat family getting introduced a little bit later that we'll get onto, but it's just like him, you know, if this was a new Batman, he wouldn't have this knowledge. You wouldn't be able to have this fight with all of them because he wouldn't have the, the baseline knowledge mm. of what you would need to take down all these people. But yeah, cause it's, it's one of those things where you'd, it's, um, it's almost, you'd, it's almost worrying, isn't it? In, if, if it wasn't Batman, if it was, if it was anyone else, you'd be like, is he going to take down the Justice League? Like, is, it, yeah. is that his plan? It's like, no, no, as you say, it's just a contingency. Hopefully never have to use this. And then he has to use all the contingencies in like an hour. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, money well spent then, wasn't it? You know, it was a worthwhile investment at the end of the day. Um, but it is great. Like we said, it's all about non-lethal force. It's about subduing, not trying to kill them, even though they're just there to, to finish him. And until, like we said, until Superman appears, you think, well, well, why are they doing this? You know, there's no obvious sign until that Superman appears and he's got this, for want of a better word, sort of jokerized expression. Uh, and then obviously the game's afoot then. And what they do, which is so clever as well, as soon as he goes that way, and I think we mentioned it last time, they immediately change the font of his speech from sort of the regular speech font that everyone else has got into that sort of weird italicized font that is just for sort of Joker talk, isn't it? That mm. differentiates him from all of the characters. Uh, and, they, and they still use that as a device now where if the Joker speaks, he has this, this, this weird font that marks him out as different to everyone else. Just a nice little creative touch that I'm, I'm such a fan of. Um, but it's great then once Superman appears because that, that, then the fight becomes purely physical, doesn't it? it does, mm-hmm. Whereas the other is more about, like you said, creating an illusion to, you know, make Wonder Woman think it's mission accomplished and she'll sort of walk off into sunset and then subduing Flash, subduing Aquaman. And then when Superman turns up, it's literally like knuckle cracking, you know. He's, he's got a, a glove there with 
microscopic red suns um, oh, no. <laughs> in, in, in the knuckles, collected from dead solar systems with the aid of Dr. Red Palmer. I mean, how, how does one go into dead solar systems and, and uh, harvest microscopic red suns to make a knuckle duster to punch Superman in the face? It's just... It's crazy, it's crazy, isn't it? But it, but at the same time, you buy it, don't you? You don't go, Jesus, they're jumping the shark here. But they don't, do they? They, they you just completely buy it, and and then you know, his ultimate method for bringing superman down when all else seems lost when superman's got him and they fly up into the air superman's pulling the armor to pieces so batman's exposing just his his quote-unquote regular bat suit and he brings him down by spitting kryptonite based chewing gum in superman's face and that's what <laughs> finishes him off it's crazy but it's so good isn't it it's so you i i, I bought into it 100 percent so did I, because I think that Batman, Batman and Iron Man, obviously from Marvel, they're very similar in the way that mm. where they've, where it shows they've basically got unlimited money because they've just mm. got so much. They can, when you have them doing these things like harvesting microscopic suns and things, if you had a multi-billionaire who had the kind of money um, and, you know, it's obviously, it's a slightly different world, but it's still vaguely, you know, the human world, you know, Earth and whatnot. It's still that sort of idea of, if someone had that kind of money and wanted to do that, yeah, I, in that realm, I do believe that would be the case. If you said Spider Man did it, you know, I'd be like, "What? How would he possibly do that? That's impossible." But when it's Batman or Iron Man, where they've got so much money and they've got the commitment to putting in, you know, so many measures, Batman more so than Iron Man, but those sort of measures of trying to preventative, preventative measures and things, I do buy. It. I go, well, yeah, that sounds like. I believe Batman would be that obsessed. I could almost, what would almost be a cool comic in, in just like an own little offshoot would be just a one issue of him yeah. trying to get that. I, I would buy that. Like I would mm. see that. But so what you say with this, uh, the Superman fight, I mean, there's two main bits is the use of blood in this is really good. I, I like it because it's, it's scary and it's fearsome and each punch that lands, you feel it, you see it. Yeah. And, Obviously, excluding the part of the start, as, we were, as you said, where Diane, um, Diana basically slams his face into a wall and there's like no cuts. <laughs> Aside from that one part, the rest of it is really good. Even when he you know, hits Superman and Superman's bleeding from the mouth, it's like, you don't see that. Or, like, to my knowledge, like, very often at all. Mm-hmm. Because Superman's so invulnerable. Mm-hmm. And he's like laughing and smiling. He's got, as you say, the Joker font and he's bleeding from the mouth and it's horrendous. And the way he fights as well, there's, there's two parts in this fight specifically I like. One is at the end, which I'll get on to. But one thing that Batman says is that he says, um, dumb Bruce, you forgot. The suit was designed for a battle with Superman, but Superman has limits, lines he would never cross. This thing, the toxin it's turned him into, if he wants to kill you, there's, liter- there's likely nothing on Earth that can stop it. And that's such an interesting thing of like, Obviously, if Batman is fighting Superman, he would think, well, Superman's not going to kill loads of innocent people to get to me. He's not going to... But then in this, because he's essentially jokerified, he mm. like heat visions a building and the whole building collapses onto, super, onto Batman. And you're just mm. like, is there anything more scary than Superman with, controlled by the Joker? Could, could yeah. you imagine? And it's, this is what it is. And it's yeah. like, it's terrifying. And I just want to add in my favorite line, I think, in arguably any comic I've ever read... <laughs> Um, genuinely, it's it's so good. I just think this is perfect. And it upsets me that... I, I don't know if this was in uh, Batman vs Superman, the movie, or not, but I hope it is. But it's... So it's... um, Who wins in a fight? The answer is always the same. Neither of us. Yeah. And that's just... That's such a poetic brilliance of just... Yeah, if Superman and Batman fight, who wins? Well, no one. 
because they're the two guardians of Earth in essence. You know, one of generally the light and one of generally the dark and of their, their elements in a sense. Yeah. And I just think if, if they fight, no one wins. And I just love that line as they both plummet after you know spitting the gum and they fall into the water. I just, yeah, I, I absolutely loved this. I forgot how much I enjoyed it when I was rereading it. It's phenomenal. Yeah. Oh, it's superb. I mean, I could have read another twenty pages of it to be honest with you. Mm. If they'd have really elongated it, um, and like you said, you know, if, if the, the, he mentioned Cyborg and Green Lantern and what he had in store for those two if they dared show up. I wish they had, in a way, you know. Yeah. And then, so we could have just seen that. It would have been great just to see him just, it looks like some kind of royal rumble where he literally just, one after the other, come on next and, and just comes up with these more baffling, bafflingly ingenious methods to sort of destroy each one. It's be superb. But um, yeah, it, it, it is great. I mean, you know, we always do like to see occasionally our heroes fight each other just for, just for the just for the fun of it i think and just uh, yeah. who, who would win if uh, such a body faced such a body you know well you know it's the old cliche in comics batman wins isn't it you know it's like <laughs> he, he at times he is sort of presented as this sort of unbeatable sort of you know unbeatable force despite the fact that he is just a man he just seemed to very seldom lose in you know in in, in general terms but you buy it don't you at the end of the day you, you again it's ridiculously high concept this fight but at the same time i was like oh yeah this you know next pace next pace let's let's see you know and then you know you just you're rooting for him and ultimately you kind of know that you know he's he's got the measure of everybody hasn't he bruce wayne at the end of the day he is just so in unfallible and and so perfect that you know that i've, I've seen it mentioned in, in comics and um, there was fantastic run in the 90s i'm going off topic a bit here but it's a fantastic justice league run in the 90s by grant morrison where the Justice League were sort of on their um, uh, space station above the moon where they operate out of. And they're invaded by white Martians and everyone gets taken down by these white Martians. Superman, Wonder Woman, Flash, Green Lantern, Aquaman, Martian Manhunter as well. They're all subdued, all these godlike creatures. And Batman isn't, he's, he's hiding or whatever. And then starts taking down these white Martians one by one. And says, these white Martians are like, say, Batman, you know, what is Batman? And Superman, who's had his ass handed to him, who's like being held captive, says to him, he's the most dangerous man in the world. <laughs> and that, that sums it up, yeah? He is the most dangerous man in the world. He just happens to be the most just man in the world as well. But if he, if he wasn't, and, you know, he has this plan to stop the Justice League, but you just think, if it was the other way around, and he was the one who went psycho, or went, you know, had his joke, got you know, his mind altered by the Joker or, or whatever it may be, would they have the means in place to stop him? Would they have, you know, obviously they've got the powers and what have you, but with all his resources, with all, like we've just seen, all this, everything he can do, could they stop him? That's mm. the question, you know? Yeah, it's very interesting. And it links to sort of, um, I recently read, I mentioned slightly earlier, Dark Knight Returns by Frank Miller, because I've yes. never read that. And it is excellent. And there's, there's the, the Batman versus Superman sort of, confrontation in that as well uh, in some ways it's not as quite as cool as this obviously it's, it's older and stuff but it obviously i feel like it inspired this quite a lot but it made me think of that in a little ways where it is just when you ha you have to give it to the character of batman how you can as you say he's just a man at the end of the day yeah he's got unlimited money but that that only just helps his cause mm. even if he didn't have any money like he would still somehow be able to find a way maybe not fighting superman because i think the amount of resources you need for that sort of thing is, mm. is near impossible but it is just that 
he's just a man and he manages all of these feats. And I remember when I was younger, I used to watch the Justice League, uh, the cartoon on Cartoon Network. I used to watch Teen Titans and Justice League and that's how I vaguely know who you know, Martian Manhunter is and that sort of thing. And I remember watching it when I was younger and I was like, how, why is Batman here? I was like, he, he's so much mm. weaker than everyone else. Yeah. And when you're a kid and you see Batman, you just go, he's, he's basically... He's like a cross between kind of Daredevil and Iron Man in some ways. And you go, how would how do they fight essentially gods? You know, because Wonder Woman is a god in essence, you know, literally and in essence. Mm-hmm. Superman's basically a god as well. And you've got all these people who are such beings. And I was always like, how why is he there? I don't understand. And then as I get older and as you read more and you get, you know, you understand it more, it's like, oh no, he's He's a tactician beyond tactician beyond tacticians. He's understanding things in ways you can understand. And that's kind of, that's the element of Batman that sometimes I think gets missed in, uh, in at least some of the films, which is he's, you know, the world's greatest detective. That's his whole, that's how he started. And they go away from that quite a bit in certain elements. And I think when you've got issues like this, they don't need to keep saying he's the world's greatest detective. They can just go, look, you know he is because he's so beyond that. He's not figuring out who committed the crime. He's 10 levels above that. He's already past that. He's not thinking who, you know, why is Superman necessarily fighting me in essence? He's kind of already figured that out. It's how do I stop Superman if he ever becomes that way? I need to have the contingencies in place. And yeah, I just think, yeah, the first two issues of this, they're so good. And I, I was reading it um, a few nights ago and it was quite late at night and I was reading the first issue. I was like, I'll read a couple bit, you know, pick a couple of notes again. And I couldn't put it down. I, was, I literally read this a week ago and I read it a year ago and I still can't not finish it because it's, it's just so compelling. Yeah, it is. It is superb. And like you said, that is literally just like the sort of the starter really for the yeah. main crux of the story. Like you said, that really in some ways would serve as a grand finale or the payoff of most most runs of you. But this is literally just, this is, you think this is, this is what we've got for you at the start? this is where we're going next. You know, it really is just great. And, you know, you talk about starting with, starting with the hits and then, you know, finding more hits to come after. It's, uh, it's really quite something. So obviously um, we learn in this fight that, you know, the Joker's behind this. Now, obviously last time we saw the Joker in the, in the book we covered last time you were on, he'd uh, sort of been thrown off a cliff at the end of death of the family. And, you know, um, had was when we last saw him was wearing his own severed face as a mask <laughs> as you do and um was uh, not in the best of places shall we say but and obviously they sort of presumed him dead for want of a better word but of course like the proverbial bad penny he's back uh, and then obviously the game's afoot trying to figure out you know um what he's up to what's his motivation this time you know um and so Batman obviously goes to um, Arkham Asylum to look at Joker's old self, looking for clues, any you know anything there that might give him a pointer, and he comes across this uh, this chap there, Eric Border, who's this uh, sort of staff member at the asylum, you know, soft-spoken kind of guy. But then obviously we find out he's not who he seems he is. Um, it's great with obviously with hindsight, you read it and you go, oh, it's him hiding in plain sight. Um, but at the time, I'm, I'm trying to remember now through first reading it, I don't think initially I did pick up on it. So I'd, I'd love to know from your sort of relatively fresh look at it. This Eric Border, did you initially go, it's him, that's him, that's, you know, that's the Joker shit, you know, or did did you just literally not see that little twist coming? I didn't see it coming. Yeah. Oh, good. I'm not the only one. <laughs> <laughs> no, when it happened, I was like, no. Yeah. You know, when he, when he, you know, kind of wipes his face and he's got that sort of thing, you're like 
course it is. It's like, you know, his face, like Joker, both Joker and Joker's severed face are on the cover of this because I've, I've got the, the trade paperback here as well. I borrowed off um, uh, Megan's brother. Mm. And I was like... I should know this is a Joker story. I, but even rereading it, I'd forgotten. <laughs> so yeah. it was just like, because it is one of those things. It's, it's what the brilliance of stories thing. You go with the ride and it's like, well, B- Batman doesn't think it's the Joker. So why would I? And then after it's like, oh, because the Joker is incredibly intelligent as well. <laughs> it's just, yeah, it's scary as well. That's the, that's the thing as well. When, when the Joker gets revealed in this, he's, I feel like he's a, uh, he's above he's elevated than a lot of other jokers and um when he when he's talking in this element you know he's got his old severed face and he's carrying it around <laughs> he's like using it and things you're just like this is horrendous like normally when it comes to adaptations of things i'm i'm normally like you know people often talk about star wars comics oh the darth vader comics they should turn them into a series or whatever and i'm normally like I can't. I don't really want them to because it takes away mm. somewhat from the comics. So I want people to read the comics because they're amazing. But this, this comic is so good. I'm just like, if they made a movie and they just did like a, they did a Zack Snyder, what in essence what he did to Watchmen in a lot of ways, where they basically just did it shot for shot. In, apart from obviously the end of Watchmen is slightly different, but like mm. if they just did this shot for shot, I think this would be hailed as the best Batman movie ever. And you know, I love Dark Knight, you know, and I love a lot of the Batman films and things, but I just think this there's so many levels of how good it is yeah. and it, it's just with this whole joker reveal you're just like oh yeah he had his face cut off oh he's still carrying it around with him though and he's using it as a prop and it's like oh my god <laughs> <laughs> oh it's great isn't it yeah it is a batshit kind of scene but but again just so great and again we get that again what we said before we get that subtle change when the the veil drops where the font changes once again from speaking like a you know inverted commas regular person (laughs) and then you know reveals his true identity and the whole mood changes uh, and and batman you know suddenly someone as well as unfallible as batman a man who is like we've you know just been spent ages talking about has literally just fought off four superpowered godlike beings now he's face to face with his nemesis who who isn't a superpower godlike being who is like batman just a man he has no superpowers batman's whole demeanor changes doesn't it batman you almost can see in some ways he's quite afraid you know for the man who you know never really shows fear batman in in, in you know at least not not very often but he genuinely seems to you know, start to panic, doesn't he, when he's in that cell and then, you know, realises that, shit, he's back and I've literally, he has literally no clue what's coming next or what he's up to. And I think it's that lack of not knowing that, you know, injects a bit of fear into Batman, doesn't it? Yeah, because with a lot of the other Batman villains, like Penguin, for example, as, as much as I've seen him, he wants to rule Gotham. He wants to be yeah. the bigwig. He doesn't want to end the world or anything. No. So it's not he with Penguin, he's got a limit. So you kind of can vaguely get what he's going to do. And same with you know other villains and things. Certain ones are more intelligent or less intelligent. You can kind of gauge the limits. But Joker, there is none of that. And one of the things in this, as you say, you know, Batman looks worried, which yeah. is a rarity. And one of the things I like when Joker's talking to him is he's saying, you know, He's basically saying, uh, to paraphrase, I thought we were friends. And then you, th- you know, in essence, basically being like, you know, you and I went to fight. We don't ever kill each other. You know, I, I hurt you a lot, but I don't kill you because you're too much fun and you can't kill me because you've got this warped sense of morality and, you know, kind of alluding to similar what um, I remember Heath Ledger's uh, uh, Joker says in The Dark Knight, actually. And it's that sort of thing of like, you know, we'll be playing this game forever. But then Joker's like, 
And then you threw me off a cliff. Yeah. And then I realized that we're not really friends anymore. And it's like, so it's kind of like Joker. And he says like, you know, our whole entanglement was a comedy, but now I realize it's a tragedy. And you go, oh, so Joker in the last time he came in, in, the, in Death of the Family. And all, you know, if, we, if we argue that all the other stuff generally that happened is in canon to this element, because obviously a lot of the other elements, like, you know, you've got the Red Hood, um, you've got Jason Todd as... Is it the Red Hood, what he's called yeah. in this? Yeah. Yeah, and you've got all the other Bat families. So you're just thinking all of the stuff of death in the family happened here. The killing joke happened here because I gets mentioned a little bit later. So you think all these horrible things that you know, Batman's been through and Joker's been through, all those things, Joker was playing a comedy. He was trying to um, show Batman that Batman is weaker than he thinks and Joker's trying to make Batman stronger. That's mm-hmm. kind of Joker's kind of angle. Yeah. And then he gets this bit and goes, I realize now that that's not true. And now I realize that we're not friends anymore. So now I'm going to tear you apart. And you're just thinking you, this whole time you weren't trying as hard as you could this yeah. whole time. You weren't even trying to mess me. And that's when I think the fear in Batman comes out when he's like, when you feel like you've been struggling to beat someone for decades or however long it is in this. And you realize, Oh, I've been holding back this whole time. That's when the fear comes out. And that's when reading this, you go, Oh, something, you know, if the, if the, for lack of a better word, if the foreplay is turning Superman into a Jokerified being, <laughs> that's yes. the start, that's the entree. Yeah. You're just thinking, what can come next? And that's one of the things that we should keep reading. And that's one of the things that why the Batman's fear feels so real, because you're just like, oh my God, what next? Yeah. Oh God, absolutely. Yeah, he's just saying to him, you know, I'm, in fact, I think he says it here, uh, this time, no more games, no more jokes. I'm just here to close up shop. Yeah, so mm-hmm. you know it is literally it is literally the titular end game for for him. He's not looking to pl- toy with him. He's not looking to play with him. He's not looking to you know show some kind of twisted love for him. You know, warped sort of sense of you know admiration or anything like that. This is it for him. He's pre- he wants to. He's, he's here to finish it. You know, that's why he's sick. The Justice League on him. You know, because in essence, if Batman hadn't been successful, they would have killed Batman there and then. Mm. Let's not forget this. You know, they were sent to kill Batman, and and you know, I guess if you set those four after someone, you to kill them, you're probably not thinking that the other person is going to survive. So he probably didn't even envision getting to this point. He just wants him gone. Just wants him out mm. of the way. So it's it's um, like you said, it's it's completely different, isn't it? It's like, well. I used to do it this way, but now we're not doing it that way anymore. Now I'm just, you're, you're gone, mate. You're finished. Yeah. There's, there's nothing you can do about it. I mean, it's, it's just, it makes him even more dangerous, doesn't it? And, and then we find out that his, his plan, you know, is this sort of deadly sort of pathogen that is unleashed in the city, which is sort of, even by Joker standards is a really sort of sick methodology. This, this deadly pathogen is transmitted by laughter and it turns sort of your love into hatred. So when you jokerize, you go after the ones you love in effect. So like, um, you know, if you're like a, a, a husband or a wife or something, someone you got infected, you'd go and then try and kill your husband or wife or whatever, whatever you may, may have. And that's just the sickest sort of way of doing things, isn't it? You know, rather than people being, being turned, it's one thing to turn people instead of, homicidal <laughs> maniacal semi zombified joker faced killing machines but to do that and then turn them on their nearest and dearest what a sick fucking plan but 
but it's delicious, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> it is that. And, and one of the things is when after that uh, that scene, when Batman comes to, what yeah. I appreciate is the pacing of this once again. It's mm. not, oh no, Joker's got this big plan. We need to stop it from happening. It's like, oh no, Batman, while you were out, he's already done it. He's already yeah. started it. Like, the, yeah. the, you know, the whole scene, he's, he wakes up in the Batcave and he's there with Julia and Alfred and he's like, oh, what, what's going on? And like, oh, thank God you're awake. Oh, what's happening? Oh, well, Joker's just unleashed this absolutely horrendous thing onto all of Gotham City without warning. And that's another big thing that I think gives us so much weight is that Joker is very theatrical. It's in his name, you know. It's, mm. it's, he likes to make a big fuss about it, especially yeah. in the films and things. It's always, let's make everyone in Gotham watch and I will burn it down, or I will try to burn it down and show the worst in people, or the Batman isn't as strong as you think he is, or any of these elements. There's none of that in this. There's no waiting for Batman to come to. It's, he basically tries to take out Batman and sets this whole thing in motion. And he doesn't wait. He doesn't... And, and that's what I think sets this above a lot of other uh, issues, um, comics and things as well. Is as much as I love, you know, I know I keep relating to the films and things, but like with DC or with Marvel... I love superhero films and all that sort of stuff. But a lot of the time, and it happens even in James Bond movies, you know, you've got the villain and they could end everything and then they monologue or mm. some sort of deus ex machina comes in and stops it or those sort of kind of, it. you kind of expect them a lot of the time. Star Wars does it as well a lot of the time where you're just like, what's the MacGuffin going to be? What's the mm. thing that's going to stop all this? And with this, it's like, oh no, it's all, what he wanted has already happened. Mm. And you're like, oh, well, how does he stop it? It was like, well, you, you just have to try and stop it as soon as you can and hope that the damage done isn't irreversible. But you, you read through this, and as you go through the comic, there's a lot of stuff that gets done. And I haven't read the issues after this, but I, I would assume it's just absolute chaos. It's one of those things where it's not as simple as, oh, there's a big blue beam shooting in the sky that's going to open up a portal to hell or something. Oh, we stopped the portal, and then everything's fine. It's like, no, no. The whole city is trash, people getting murdered, all kinds of chaos is already happening. And that's just when Batman awakens let alone the amount of it, the pacing and how he's like the urgency i think is what this comic does really well from the start all the way through everything is very much this is urgent rather than being like oh well we've got a countdown of 12 hours before the bomb goes off let's get there before that final five seconds it's like no the bomb's already gone off now. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you're already late <laughs> <laughs> no it's i love that as well yeah like you said there's no there's no time for thinking there's no time everything's done on the move here isn't it you know they you know they do try and come up with ways to sort of counteract the effects of the toxin which of course they're going to do but it's all done in sort of full perpetual motion isn't it there's no sort of batman sat in the back cave like this you know his furrowed brow sort of brooding with Alfred serving him a cup of tea going, Alfred, I'm, I, you know, what's the secret here? I'm so close. I'm so close to un unlocking it. There's none of, there's none of that. It's, you know, it's all done like hundred miles an hour, all hands to the pump. Like this, it's Armageddon. It's the end of days. It's, it's great. Like you said, there's no wasted, like you said earlier, there's no wasted bits here, is there? It's all, it's all serves the, the, the end game here. The, again, going back to the title there, um, but just so brilliantly done. Um, and what's great as well, I, I can't remember if we mentioned this last time, uh, but the thing about the Joker is, yes, he's bonkers and he's a fucking lunatic, but he's also an absolute bona fide genius isn't he mm. i mean the, the things he's able to concoct the the you know the, he must have like a million sort of degrees from mit and chemical engineering or something like this because he is literally genius level when it comes to things like that but his plans are so beautifully put together that despite this sort of 
outward projection of this man who's sort of just just chaos and you know no rhyme or reason to how he does things and how he thinks he just pure anarchy pure ball of rage whatever underneath that there is a, a wonderfully detailed intricate plot isn't it such a weird weird dichotomy of a character at times isn't it it's, it's like the inverse, I think, of Batman, isn't it? Yeah. Batman is almost like he can always find the, a way to save people, but he knows their weaknesses at the end of the day. And Joker's kind of the same, but he wants to exploit people. He wants yeah. to bring out the worst in people. You know, How many people genuinely um, can actually make Superman that bloodthirsty and that horrendous? Like, the, the, as you say, the amount of level of genius of you have to understand to be able to create a toxin that can not only turn you know, Aquaman or The Flash, but they are generally still people atlanteans they're still part human but then you get diana and then you get superman who's literally an alien and it's just like how you manage that and that's not even your top plan that's not even what the end is mm. and so as you say with um with the joker and stuff with him uh in this i just think it's this is like this brings the horror of batman quite well which is not something i necessarily had realized in the past that you know obviously joker is scary but as we said you know when you see him especially on the big screen he either is a bit goofy or you know you think oh he's scary but he'll get beaten but in this there's a real horror element to it because when all the people like i'm just looking at the part where um batman's out in the city and as you say you know julia and alfred are back in the Batcave, frantically trying to sort things out and you've got gordon who's speaking with batman as well and you're watching batman go around and it's the color palette and the dialogue, and you've got all the ha-ha-has getting bigger when you've got crowds of people getting near Batman. This feels like it could be a horror like comic. And it's so interesting that you can have a superhero slash vigilante thing where you've got Superman in it, but it becomes quite a horror sort of uh, story, which is it's very interesting. And it, it's something, it's a side of the Joker, which looking back in hindsight is quite obvious to go down that route. But I, although I've not read that many uh, comics, I haven't seen interpretations of the Joker or any stories the Joker's been in that incorporate horror that much. Mm. Yeah, it, it's funny you mention that, actually, because yeah, I was going to come on to that, actually, about how he almost becomes like this sort of... Um, like Michael Myers, Jason Voorhees, like unstoppable boogeyman in this. Mm. Um, I mean, there's this wonderful scene where he appears at... Commissioner Gordon's flat, his, his apartment, house, whatever it is he lives in there. And he sort of slinks out from under Gordon's table like some depraved horror film monster or something and, you know, the, sets fire to the place, places in flames, and then Gordon shoots him and believes him dead. And even he's even on the phone to, I think, I can't remember if it's either Barbara or, or Batman, saying, I've, I've done it, I had to do it, I had no choice. But, but And he's, he's like smiling and crying while he's doing it like he's flat still on fire but he's like he's got like this sense of like finality and relief that he's put this monster down and then there's this wonderful image while he's on the phone of joker rising up out the flames over his shoulder and that is like something out properly out of like a a halloween film or friday the 13th isn't it the mon the the monster you think is dead rising up in the background and he's gonna you know literally in this instance swing an axe and 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 uh, and and, try and finish off um it is great isn't it just such a a macabre image um and one thing i did want to ask you actually Mm. is we get this whole sort of extension to the plot there where there seems to be a genuine belief uh, or 
a certain openness to belief uh, amongst Batman and his uh, little uh, sort of Bat family there that the Joker is in fact immortal. Mm-hmm. And he has been around Gotham City for hundreds of years, and can sort of regenerate himself. And obviously, we, we see we see him literally having been shot dead, rise up out these flames to to go back at Gordon. And we get this whole scientific explanation because we get to see um, uh, Bruce go and visit this guy Decker, who's sort of a, it's this geneticist who, who's sort of working on these scientifically based methods of regeneration. And they're using this substance called Dionysium. And he's like, well, where'd you get this Dionysium from? And he's like, it's in the Joker. I pull it out of his spine. Or I think he says that. It comes out of his spine. So then you're really led to believe that the Joker is this immortal, unstoppable character that's been around Gotham for hundreds of years. I mean, obviously, the end, we'll, we'll get to the end, but it may or may not be true. But when I was reading this, until you sort of get a more rational explanation, I was fully involved. I was fully um, invested in it. I was like, shit. Hey, he actually is. He actually is. And then, you, you know, you, the, the, these pictures, isn't there, from hundred, you know, from down the years, and there's like a, a peripheral background character who kind of resembles the Joker, and you're thinking, oh, shit, he's actually, actually has been around for hundreds of years. Did you, did you think that when you were reading it for the first time, or were you like, come on, there's got to be a slightly more rational explanation here? I, I was really... I think I just still had that doubt in my head just mm. a little bit, yeah. um, because I was like this all sounds feasible. And I was like, that does sound like it, it could, you know, in the realm of, of this, you know, when you've got gods essentially walking among us and Aquaman, yeah. all these sort of things, it's not out of the realm of possibility. So when I first read that, I was like, that, that's a really cool idea. I, I like that sort of thing. One of my favorite things is like in, you know, Forrest Gump, when you see the old, old footage of like uh, Kennedy shaking people's hands or Elvis mm. Presley doing stuff and they've managed to get Tom Hanks's Forrest Gump in there yes. due to video editing. It looks like he was, I love it when you get like films and things like that and series. I've heard that Umbrella Academy does something like that, but I haven't seen Umbrella Academy annoyingly, but it's one of those things where I, I love that sort of thing. It's, so when I saw that, I was like, oh, that's really cool idea. I really like that. And I was like, mm. that would be, like obviously I haven't read a huge amount of the Batman stuff and I was like that could almost be its own really cool if that were the case that could be such a really cool idea of like just like maybe even a five-part miniseries of just the Joker terrorizing Gotham like Joker through the ages how he managed to do it and I was like is it going to be that there's multiple Jokers like I know that's kind of been tackled in uh the book three Jokers which Mm -hmm. I've yet to read but I've got it and I'm gonna read it soon um but like the the element of, oh, is there multiple Jokers? Is he the first? Is there this element of, you know, maybe there's more to it? Like, I quite like it when you get, when you get a, uh, an origin story of someone or a flashback and then years down the line or issues down the line, you see another perspective of it that adds another element. You know, things like someone, oh, someone's falling off the edge and they're about to fall and then they do fall and they're gone. But mm. then you see it years later, actually they almost fell and then someone that you didn't see hit them from a certain angle and that was the thing that made them fall at the end. Things like that I really enjoy. Mm. And I thought, because my mind was starting racing, I was like, what if the Joker, maybe when the Joker fell in the, the in Killing Joke when he falls into that thing, mm. maybe the other one of the other Jokers was kind of involved in making that happen. Maybe mm. Joker is like this generational thing and maybe there was a Joker in the 1800s and that was the first one. And then they are just mortal, but when they get near death, they know how to break people and they break in another Joker. Yeah, and yeah. they kind of do that. And I was like, I was on board with that. I was like, that could really work. That could be such a cool idea. And so I was, there was still that flicker of doubt. I was like, are they going to go down that route? Because I, 
as much as I love the idea and I think it could open up so many cool possibilities, I think the problem it brings is just that there haven't been, at least in, in the my knowledge of the comics, there hasn't been this level of, of terrorizing in the past in the same way. And it would be that question of why has the Joker waited this long? Now, obviously, mm. things like Dark Knight Returns tackles that of going like the Joker in, in that uh uh, continuity he goes into like a catatonic state when Batman yeah. is presumed dead and he's just because he's got no one to challenge him and mm-hmm. I do quite like that idea so it can work but I I was a bit skeptical but I really enjoyed the ride if you know what I mean yeah yeah oh, yeah it's great because it's like a it's another string to the bow you know we've we've had like we said we had this wonderful action sequence for the first couple of chapters just knock down drag out Justice League on Justice League fight. We've had these sort of wonderful uh, exchanges of dialogue between Batman and Joker. We've had, like we've just said, horror elements as well. And now this is like another string to the bow, this mystery. You know, it's like, what is this man? What is his true nature? You know, we, th- we thought we knew him. He's been around in, in comic lore for almost as long as Batman has, you know, practically the same amount of time was he all this time an immortal character? And that's why he's always able to seemingly cheat death and, you know, disappear for, you know, months on end out of the continuity. And when you think how, how on earth could he have survived such a thing? And now he's back bigger and brighter than ever. Maybe there is something to it. So I, when I, I, do, I do remember vaguely when I first read it, you know, a few years ago thinking oh, that would be a really cool thing for them to do. Um, you know, not making him like, you know, all of a sudden giving him superpowers. He's still a, a, a man at the end of the day. But maybe, yeah, maybe he does, re- like you said, maybe regenerate or, or maybe, you know, find a way to pass pass things down through the generations and, and you know, re-up into a, like an, a, a, another guy. So I really like that. I just think it's a really nice way of keeping you on the hook till the end, isn't it? You know, because you've got this, obviously, this race against time to try and stop this pathogen and, and try and synthesize a cure for it. <laughs> and stop the Joker, and now we've got this mystery to solve as well as to what's going on. It just It's just more meat on the bone, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. And I think also it, it works really well because this is the new 52. So it gives that idea of like so many other um, DC characters, it's a completely new version of them. It's a completely... So in this, knowing this was a new 52, if they went down that route, it's believable. If it was, you know, I, I know it does it with an example I'd give is... Um, Marvel, I know Spider-Man comics, I think they're on issue like 800 or something mad. Um, and it's been going since the 19th, I think it's the Amazing Spider-Man. I, I don't, I can't remember if it's finished yet, but I think it's on like issue 800 or something, or it's gone past that now. And it's just like, that's been going since like 1963 or something mental. Yeah. And you're like, if they try and do something big in that to try and undo stuff, it makes people very upset, it can make cause all kinds of problems. But when you go, okay, here's a new continuity, it can connect with the old continuity in all the ways we want it to, but it can go in any direction. It's kind of not constrained. You know, this isn't, you know, Detective Comics number 1612. This is New 52. Mm. This is the New 52 version of Joker. It could very well be that element. And also it's like, there are many characters in Batman and in the DC universe that do come back to life. You've got Ra's al Ghul. You've got Lazarus Pits. You've got all these elements. So it's like, this isn't out of the realm of possibility. So with those levels as well, with especially Ra's al Ghul, you go, the Joker could be like, I'm, I, I'm willing to accept that rather than, be, you know, certain issues. It could be like, Oh, I know this isn't the case. Let's just, this is obviously not the case. This was like, I don't think it is, 
but it definitely yeah. could be. And I think that's the best that's the best kind when you doubt yourself a little bit, but yeah. not enough, and you're a little bit on the edge, because that's kind of what the journey Batman's on, isn't it? He's like, this surely not, but all the signs are pointing to it. And I know other people exist because he they mentioned Razal Ghoul and the Lazarus Pits at some point in this comic as well. Yeah. So you go, yeah. it it could be, but is it? I don't think so, but it could be. You know, yeah. I, I really like, as you say, they kind of they hook you with that. Yeah. Yeah, they do. They, they 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 dare you to contemplate it. I guess you know, like you said, Batman is like the the ultimate man of reason and and science and and evidence. So obviously, like you said, he's not going to take it at face value. But then, like you said, all all the signs point to it. Kind of is. So yeah. if if the evidence leads you one way, and then and you're you know a, a detective as he is, you follow the evidence wherever it leads you. So he, he you know he himself is kind of thinking he's not dismissing it he's, he's he's thinking it could be a possibility too which obviously makes me as a, as a reader think well if he thinks it's true then he's very very seldom wrong you know his theories tend to be right in everything um so maybe maybe he is so it was a, just a great little hook and you know to keep you on the edge right to the end you know for this end showdown between the two but before this end showdown between the two we get this sort of mini showdown between Joker and Alfred in the Batcave because yes. Batman Batman's not home yet. He's, uh, <laughs> he's still um, he's still uh, trying to save the city and Joker's sort of swam under the uh, the river, I guess, through the, the same route, through the waterfall off the cliff he went down and uh, made his way back into the Batcave because he knows at this point, he knows Batman is Bruce Wayne and so he knows who everyone is. So he, he knows under Wayne Manor must be the Batcave. And we get this sort of, Wonderful standoff with Alfred, where Alfred hold, holds his own, but then horrifically gets his hand chopped off oh, oh, by, yeah. by the Joker, <laughs> um, which is grim. But again, it's that horror element, you know, uh, that we, we spoke about earlier. But it, um, it's kind of skipping to the end, but we'll, we'll circle back. But at the end, when Alfred is sort of convalescing in a hospital bed, lacking a hand, and uh, Julia says to him, you know, I think... We can save it, you know. It's 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 your hands preserved. We can look to to reattach it. You know, you don't have to live your life with one hand. And he he almost, he refuses it, doesn't he? And I think he says, um, "There's no one to." He doesn't need it anymore because there's no one to mend anymore. Mm. Meaning Bruce is gone. Um, and that is just one of the most I think heartbreaking panels of comics I've read because that's his entire reason for living gone isn't it you know he's literally dedicated his in his well not his entire life but his life from the point that batman's parents were murdered he's dedicated his entire being and his entire existence to um taking care of bruce wayne basically uh, and then later batman when bruce wayne goes down that path and all that's gone all that's gone yeah so ev- everything he's lived for and done is is taken and it's just so heartbreaking you see this all of this sudden looks like a, a frail old man i mean he is old anyway but he looks all of a sudden looks we've just seen him in the f- a few panels earlier like holding his own with a deadly supervillain in the back cave and now he's uh, this knackered old man in a bed with no hand uh, just broken it is heartbreaking isn't it it is yeah and what adds to it what um i find is um yeah, the, the weight is even more so because when he confronts the Joker, um, I think Julia speaks to him and says, look, you, you need to hide. You need to not go up against him. Do you remember what happened to you last time? You mm. still haven't recovered from that. And obviously yeah. that was when we tackled Death of the Family, yes. when he basically got Joker-fied. Yeah. And he just, it, 
traumatized him and he got injured as well and that sort of stuff. And it's like, he's only just on the mend from that. Then he goes through like another traumatic experience trying to just do it thinking, I'll do anything to save, you know, Gotham, but also Bruce and Batman. He's my responsibility. And he goes through all that. And when he's in that bed, he just thinks he's failed. And it's like, that is heartbreaking. And I, I link it to, I think this probably does it a bit better, but I think in Dark Knight Rises, when you've got Michael Caine and he's standing over Bruce's way, uh, Bruce's uh, grave crying. Yes. Yeah. And he's like, I failed you. I failed your parents. And that scene, you know, I get pretty close to tears of that scene. I'm just like, Oh, you get the sinking in your chest. You're watching it like, Oh, this is emotional. Cause it is Alfred's put his whole thing is like, he's there to support Bruce hoping one day Bruce won't need to be Batman anymore and he can live a long and happy life. And then Alfred can kind of take a breath. But until that day comes, he'll be there to save Batman, to sew him up, to stitch his wounds, to be the support Batman needs. Even if Batman doesn't think or even want the help, he will do anything for it. And he does that. And then he thinks he's failed. And it's just like, oh, as you say, it's just, it's heartbreaking. And in this comic, especially, I think they do it even better because of the linking to what he's already been through in this run. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, he, he is, he, he is his son for, you know, for all, I know he's not his real son, obviously, but oh, yeah. Yeah, the day, definitely. the day Thomas Wayne and Martha Wayne were killed, he became his surrogate son, you know, he became his legal guardian. His whole reason then was to protect this child who'd just gone through this unspeakable traumatic tragedy and try and, you know, guide him through life. And obviously then the life takes a very drastic turn in adulthood and, and be, you know, becomes a superhero. Um, but it's, it's everything, isn't it? It's, his, it's, it's his, literally his sole life's purpose. And there is, like you said, there is, there is a sense of failure, isn't there? Because that was his thing to keep, keep this man alive, keep this man protected, keep this man happy and well. And as far as he was away, he's, he's, he's not fulfilled his end of the bargain. He's, he's outlived him basically, which, you know, it, the natural order of things not to be, because he's so much more older than Bruce. It would be that he would go first, you know, as a parent, as a parent would, unfortunately. And it's just, it is a, t- a terrible, terribly tragic scene, but so much, but so much weight behind it, isn't it? It really does work beautifully well. And just after you've had this nonstop, like we've said this nonstop action packed, villainy packed mystery packed horror packed romp we break it down just to this old man in a bed who's reflecting on the events and everything brilliant writing isn't it brilliant oh yeah it, it's just excellent and it also both of the writing and also with the artwork as well it works together so well because his artwork is so gritty but it's also so colorful mm. and i think that's what because the blood really stands out a lot like when that scene like when he gets the hand cut off because when um in the trade paperback, when it goes into this issue, which I think is issue uh, four, I think, or maybe mm-hmm. issue five, but I think it's issue four, and you've got uh, Batman there holding two severed hands, yeah. and you're like, oh, God. And then you see this scene happen, you're like, oh, no. And th- th- that one panel where it's like silhouetted black and white, but you see the severing of the writ, and there's just red, crimson blood splats, and then you've just got Alfred there holding the stump while Joker's just standing over him, kind of just laughing essentially just mm. kind of mocking him and it shows that the joker just got into the bat cave he probably could have always got into the bat cave and all he does is just damage a few things create a bit of chaos cuts off alfred's hands and then leaves again and you're just yeah. like it's the ultimate mockery of just showing how much power the joker has of just like he could have very easily finished off alfred decapitated him destroyed the whole bat cave all kinds of stuff and he just didn't because yeah. he he doesn't need to. And that's one of the scariest things about Joker is what he's capable of 
and what he chooses to do and what he chooses not to do because the thing he actually chooses to do is often worse in some ways. Yeah. And in that scene as well, when you've got Alfred and um, the Joker there, and obviously you've got one of the things you mentioned sort of earlier, you've got Batman and he's he's going across the city constantly. He's he's going to this place and he's having yeah. to fly over essentially zombies in, in a lot of ways that are yeah. you know worse than zombies, trying to do that. And he's trying to save this kid and then he's trying to go over there. And now that that thing didn't work, he has to go over here. And then all these bits, he's constantly, he's just so thinly stretched. He can't ha- ask for anyone's help because you know basically all the Justice League are incapacitated for like five days because of the whole Joker-fied thing. And he's not accepting the help from the Bat family. And that goes to show he eventually does. But in the Batcave, You've got the bit where, you know, Alfred shoots Joker with a shotgun. He's still walking. And the bit where one of my favorite little panels is just where Joker is standing in front of the red hood, the sort of glass um, helmet thing. And he just says, oh, you kept it. And then he gets shot by Alfred and the story continues. But there's that one little panel. Mm. And it's those little nods, which I really like. And I find that it makes it rewarding to be a comic book reader. Like I know that I'm scratching the surface of how much Batman I've read. I'm just trying to read the kind of the big hitters in a sense. But even someone like me who, you know, Killing Joke is the, I, we discussed it in our first show, the quintessential that should be every Batman fan or anyone who's fan of the Batman film should just read the Killing Joke because it's just a masterpiece. And knowing it's so big, just having this little thing in there going, oh yeah, in this continuity, that is canon, essentially. Yeah. We're saying that that did happen. Didn't have to put that in there. It doesn't add anything necessarily but it definitely doesn't take anything away. So just to add that little one line of dialogue and have it in like three panels, you get to see the thing. It, as a reader, it adds so much because it feels like the universe and the, the, the world is connected so much more when it didn't have to be. And I just really appreciate that as a fan. Mm. No, I completely agree. It's it's wonderful when they put these little Easter eggs in that hark back to to previous events. Like you said, it's just an aside, isn't it? There's, mm. there's no dwelling on it. It's like, oh, I, I know what that is, you know. Uh, as we as readers know what that is. Oh, that's really cool. Um, but it's good when they do that. And like you said, it makes it, you know, it joins up the dots from previous events that shows these events don't happen in isolation. There is a through line of continuity. Um and like you said, it's extreme, it is extremely rewarding because it, you, when you get those moments, you kind of think, oh, yeah, I knew what that was because, because I've read it. So, you know, I'll get more out of it than someone who maybe hasn't and is coming to it completely, um, you know, from the prism of a completely sort of no outside knowledge who might not pick up on that. I mean, they'll enjoy the book for this wonderful masterpiece of a book it is but there's little bits in there you know like i guess they call it fan service don't they which you know happens in in all genres i suppose i guess you know in in, in like in your you know your field of expertise star wars things oh, like yeah. that i'm sure in most of the star wars sort of comics and, and and i guess in in the tv shows as well there's probably little bits little references to things from other parts of the franchise that make you go ah, oh, i can't believe they mentioned that or yeah. you know that's something from you know, one of the early films or something like that. It's great, isn't it? It just gives you like a, gives you like a little buzz actually, doesn't it? To make you think, ah, oh, <laughs> I, I, I got that reference to quote Captain America. I got that reference. Um, it is kind of cool, isn't it? Yeah, exactly that. That's one of the things I love most about Star Wars. And that's what I love about the Star Wars comics is because yeah. they're not at the forefront of a lot of other stuff. Most of the people who write the Star Wars comics are massive Star Wars fans. So they include these little bits in there and they've almost got their own continuity within themselves. Like Claudia yeah. Gray. I had her on the show in um, December 2020. Yes. And um, she's, she's amazing. And she's written uh, five Star Wars books now. 
And there's certain characters or like, there's a certain drink that she just created. I think it's called Port in the Storm. And it's only found on this one specific planet. And it's meant to be undrinkable unless you're a local to that planet. Right. And in one or two of the other books she's written, it just gets mentioned in passing. Just a really light, just like something like, oh yeah, they went out drinking and they thought could drink anything, but no one could drink this Port in the Storm except this one person. And that's it. And it's just, it never gets mentioned again. But it doesn't matter if you know what the port in the storm is or anything, but because I read her other books, I'm rewarded. And it's the same with this, but in obviously a much wider stretch. They do that a lot in, in Star Wars. And that's what one of the reasons I love doing my podcast. Cause I get to try and connect all those little dots that people yeah. may potentially miss. But yeah, it is. That's the kind of fan service I want. I, I you know, a certain comics, I find that certain reasons why people can't get into comics all the time, or they're worried to get into new stuff is like I mentioned with Spider-Man's on issue 800 and something. And it's just like, even me, I don't want to necessarily embark on that. There's certain issues within it that you can go, you know, there's these little mm. arcs you can kind of dip into. Yeah. But it can be really intimidating to be like, I don't have the time or the money or anything to be able to embark on 800 issues of Spider-Man so I can be up to stretch on the newest issue. Whereas you don't necessarily have to be to, for clarify, to clarify, but it does seem that way. Yeah, yeah. When you have issues like this, you're like, I haven't even read the rest of the Batman 52. I've read the death of the family and Endgame, and that's it. Cause I've, you know, borrowed these from, um, my, uh, Megan's uh, brother and things. Mm-hmm. And it's like, but the little bits I have read is still like, Oh, good job. Nicely done. And it's like, Oh, thank you. <laughs> I, uh, it works in a way that you don't have to have read all these things for things to make sense. But if you do, it adds to it. And I think that's, mm-hmm. that's a really good balance of fan service. Yeah. Oh, I think so. Yeah. Uh, accessible fan service, I think, where That's a good way of you, putting it. you don't have to be uber invested or a uber sort of oracle on all things in that world to understand. But a little bit of knowledge helps, I guess, you know. So it's not it's not too selective, I guess. But um, no, I, I love that kind of stuff. I love little references and, I, you know, I, in comics in general where they draw a little, you know, where they go to like a... Like it's been, times where you know you go to like um old old J- justice league headquarters and where they keep old relics and things and they all go into a room and then they'll be like oh that's su- such a body's weapon that they've kept or that's a costume from whatever and, and blah blah and it's great just being able to pick them out you know you don't have to get them all i suppose you know no one's that degree of an expert well i guess some people are but you know just to be able to just pick up on things and go oh that's that and that's that it's great stuff i absolutely love it um it's, it's great it's good fun uh, before we sort of go to the, to the end fight now one thing i do want to mention i know you, you picked up on how much you like it is the art in this book mm. by uh, by greg capullo I, I, i'm a huge fan of his art and him and scott snyder have worked in tandem so much over the years in dc comics they do they are the dream team um in my eyes but i do love his art so much it's it's, it's kind of it almost has like a cartoon quality to it, doesn't it? It's not, it's not like the sort of, some people like the more realistic kind of art, like, you know, like an Alex Ross, like photo realistic style. I mean, it's, you know, it's all horses for courses. People can like what they like. Um, but I do really, this kind of art does speak to me where it's, it's grounded in reality. And like we were talking about the fights and how bloody they are and visceral, but there is almost like, you know, like I said, a, a cartoon esque quality to it that sort of ele- sort of heightens the reality um but i'm a huge fan is it kind of art that appeals to you or do you prefer a different style or you know how do, how do you see it yeah this art is actually I, i'm completely on board with you I, this is my favorite kind of art um yeah. i you know i 
there's certain realism stuff that I do enjoy. You know, Star Wars, they've got quite a wide berth of, of um, uh, artists and things. And same as the Batman comics I've read, you know, there's different ones that can be, you know, like the Dark Knight Returns. There's no doubt in the skill of Frank Miller. But when I first read that, it was a little bit jarring because it's, it's so different to a lot of the other Batman stuff I've read. Yeah. Yeah, and it took me a little while to get into it, but once the, it really works with the theme of it, you know, it's a very, very gritty uh, graphic novel and stuff, so it does work. And once you get into it, it's fine. But with this, I just find my favorite uh, artwork when it comes to comics is when it is cartoon, but when it's detailed, and that's exactly um, what these all have. Like, there's a one here which oh, you can see because you're on Zoom, but like just this this sort of scene here mm-hmm. where you've just you, the colors pop. And you can see everything very nice and clearly, but it's not its not like old school cartoony. Because I know that certain older comics, especially in the golden age and things, I know obviously nowadays it's certainly easier because of technology and things, but certain golden age comics that I read, they're really good to read, but there's not as much detail in them because of whatever reason it is, the artist or time constraints, whatever. And although those are good, I much prefer, I would much rather it be cartoon but detailed than realistic, better than realistic, really. I like that. Into you, it, it makes me feel into the universe because I find that sometimes when you make it too photorealistic and they look too much like people, you get that uncanny valley where you just have to have one angle of the face or something and it just jars a little bit. And there's a couple of Star Wars comics that do it a bit where they have Luke, Leia, and Han, and obviously their faces are so recognizable. Yeah. And they look great in 98% of it but in those odd comics where their face is just at that angle that you're not used to seeing and it's one tiny bit of the nose is slightly off it brings you out of it a little bit but when you have comics where it's not meant to look like a real human person in real life it's meant to look like a comic there's there's none of that there's no parts where any of this doesn't feel like it fits there's no part that's jarring and I think it gives the artist and the writers as well the freedom to be able to tell the stories they want in certain ways. When, you know, Alfred's arm gets cut off and blood splurts everywhere, that's probably quite a realistic level of blood if you've got your hand cut off. Mm. But equally, when you've got other parts where you've got the violence of people being punched and things, you don't have to necessarily show the intricacies of the bone if you don't want to. But if you do, the format allows for that. So I would say that this, the artwork of this is exactly the kind of artwork I like. And it's nice and colorful in the right ways, while also in certain other parts, it's, it's not. You know, you've got the dark scenes where it's dark because it needs to be in the plot, but you can still see everything okay. Whereas I find that if you get ones that aren't quite as detailed, you can lose some of that. Yeah. And I also want to add with the art, what I like is as this um, as it's gone through, the longer into the comic it is with the, um, the citizens who are jokerfied, their skin seems to become more green. And I think it links with what you said earlier, where they become more like zombies and it becomes more that imagery, especially towards the end where there's all that fighting going on. But yeah, I just think the colors pop really well, the detail's good, and it just allows... There's no limit to to what they want you to see. And I I just think that's that makes this already powerful story even more weighted in all the right ways they want it to be. Yeah. Oh, couldn't, couldn't have said it any better myself or, or anywhere near as eloquent as you sir but yeah i completely agree with everything you just said it really is it's 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 the perfect art style for the writing isn't it like i said the two the two of them work so well together i mean snyder is comic book royalty by this point now um established himself over the last decade or so he really is sort of dc's top active writer i would say um but he he he, he gets i think the character of batman so well you you mentioned 
at the start his use of interior monologue and mm -hmm. how you sort of get into Batman's thought process, which is is throughout this this book, that interior monologue. And it it sometimes that cannot be good because sometimes I guess sometimes you don't need it, but it works so well for this character because he's such a cerebral character, isn't he? He's, there's so much going on up here. He's not I think with a character like Superman it might not work so much. But with Batman, because he's he's so, you know, his mind is as big an asset as his physical attributes. Um it works so well, doesn't it? And and it just lets you lets you into the mind of the man, doesn't it? And it gets him so well. His 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 interior monologue sounds like his authentic voice, doesn't it? Exactly. Yeah. And it lets you. It's kind of the thing that I find with um, Sherlock is a good um, way to compare it to because you know the detective side of things. But you watch certain. I love the BBC Sherlock, for example. But there's yeah. loads of iterations of Sherlock, and yeah. my favourite versions of Sherlock are the ones where you get an interior monologue where you go with the ride and you can kind of, you're maybe one step behind, but you kind of figure things out as they do in a way. And that's what this does really well. As you've, you've pointed out, you know, with Batman, when he's fighting, especially with the justice league at the start, he, I find that sometimes with comics where you get it with, um, you know, Spider-Man and Deadpool do this a lot and it's very much, you know, self-referencing and meta in certain ways. Yeah. And that's for, that's fine. But it, it wouldn't work in this, you know, this is a gritty and dark plot. It wouldn't work to be that kind of kooky and fun. But you couldn't have Batman saying it out loud because he would never, ever do that. Like, that's just not Batman. So it's a really good way of, as you say, getting into the mind of Batman and filling in us as the audience the information that we require to understand either what's going on in the plot or what certain characters are, the motivations, or at least how Batman perceives that with the whole thing with the Joker when you're thinking, is he this ancient being or not? Where are you going to go? Because you can see what Batman's thinking as well. He's got that level of doubt, he, but he's not entirely sure. That allows you as the audience to be more comfortable in that. Whereas if they didn't have any of that, and there was no... I think if you took away all the Batman dialogue out of this, that's the majority of the dialogue, I think. And it works as a way without there having to be a narrator. Because even just having a narrator, it can work in certain formats. You know, Stanley does a great job in lots of uh, animated stuff where he starts off and things, and that's cool. Mm. But when you have something that's gritty like this and quite adult, you don't necessarily have a narrator because that pulls you out a little bit of being in the world. But when you've got the main character and you just kind of hear their thoughts, that's when it works. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's a really effective... When, when it's done well, it's yeah. really effective like narrative choice and just really helps enhance the story i think as long as as long as it's done authentically and doesn't you know sounds consistent with the way you think the character would think and their interior voice you know it, it just it sounds it does sound spot on um it really is and so we get to this final fight with him and the joker in by the dionysian pool and it what's interesting about this fight is they just seem to be a no without the hindsight of knowing how it ends just with the fight just seemed to have like a degree of finality to it doesn't mm. it? it it really does appear it does appear like the end for the two characters in terms of not necessarily oh they're both going to die or whatever but like it's their last face off so to speak, it's all come down to this one moment. I mean, yeah, over the years, Batman and Joker have had a million fights and, you know, they've been bloodier, they've been brutal and, you know, it's looked like one of them ain't going to walk out of it. But here you get the sense that both of them have come there to die, so to speak. Mm. Um, you know, and, and, and Batman is 
severely outmatched as well. It's weird how at the start of this, we saw him fight the Justice League and be pretty much in control of the situation throughout. But now here at the end, he's stripped down to, he's not got all the, the bells and whistles. He's not got the suit that cost him a billion, squillion, trillion dollars. <laughs> he's, you know, he's in his, his reg, quote unquote regular suit fighting one man. Um, but obviously Joker's enhanced as we learn this Dionysium as well as allow him to allow him to recover from gunshots. It's also like a steroid time quality, isn't it? It's like a performance enhancing drug. He's faster, he's stronger, he's quicker than he's ever been before. So he's Batman's actually a match. And Batman takes a fucking beating in this scene as well, isn't he? Yeah. He, he is burned, he's got a playing card in the eye. <laughs> he gets absolutely nailed in this scene, which is again something you don't see very often because he's always the best fighter in the room and all the rest of it um but there is throughout it you read it and there is a sense there that the end is nigh here and you know things are never going to be the same afterwards it's it's like a there's like a sense of doom to it isn't there yeah yeah exactly and it this i know that this isn't the end of uh of this run and i know it's not the end of bruce wayne in the continuity either but i just think as you say it does feel so final and it feels like that would be the perfect way to end anything um if it was just this comic run or whatever it does feel very very final and you do get that thing about batman he is getting outmatched and he's even saying it like you kind of get that monologue and he's like you know so fast i always forgot how fast he is but now he seems even quick even quicker too quick too and then he can't even finish that monologue that line because then he gets stabbed in at the back yeah. And it's that, that clever use of the inner monologue is what he's actually thinking, but he can't even finish his own thought because Joker's so quick, which yeah. he's not used to. And there's that, there's that panel, which is just, you know, once again, this is the kind of thing, I could genuinely probably pick out a hundred panels of this to be a perfect poster. Mm. And it's the one where you've got Joker standing, looking at Batman and saying, and smile, and you see um, Batman's back, and he's got two knives in his shoulders, yeah. and he's got a carved mouth in his lower back, and you're like, that is absolutely horrendous. But that is Joker. He's he's really trying to really hurt Batman this time. You know, it's not the standard Joker where it's like, you know, seeming like he's trying to hurt him, but maybe not really. He's just playing with him, which is obviously a lot of the time what Joker's like. He's you know, got the knife and he's like swiping a Batman, but he's not really landing anything or just nicks a little bit. He is proper yeah. stabbing, blood's coming out, and then Batman's getting more desperate. And you see that because, you know, Batman hits Joker very, very hard at certain points and like blood splurts out. And there's one bit where Batman bites Joker's ear and you're like, that is the, you don't see Batman sink to the level of desperate street fighting. You just don't. Yeah. He's, he's not only got this moral code, but he's normally so much outmatching whoever he's fighting. He doesn't need to sink to biting someone's <laughs> ear. Yeah. But in this scenario, he's so desperate and he's so outmatched. And obviously, I think it helps that with Joker is enhanced by the Dionysium, but also Batman is so tired. In this day, he is for, obviously he passed out after the, the Joker thing in Arkham Asylum and stuff, but in a day, maybe two days, he is for the Justice League and, you know, as he says, neither of us win when he fights um, Superman. Mm. And at the start of this whole comic, he was already injured before uh, Wonder Woman got him. And then he's had to trawl across the entire city, avoiding these essentially zombie hordes of people that he can't actually really hurt that much yeah. because they're just people at the end of the day. Yeah. So he's so exhausted and he's fighting Joker, who's constantly stabbing him, just bringing these knives out of nowhere. And he's just desperate. And that is something you don't see in Batman very often. Mm. And it is it adds that layer of finality, as you say. Like, when Batman gets desperate, just like if you get Superman, in the rare times that Superman is desperate, 
that's when it's a worry because they're the kind of people that don't get to that level. Even when things are looking at their worst, they've got either optimism or they've got a plan up their sleeve. Mm. And there's points in this comic where Batman even says, when I think Julia says to him, like, what are we doing? He's like, I don't know. Mm. I'm, I'm, I'm going over here because this is just the vague idea. I'm just going to hope there's something here or that in the meantime of me doing this, you find something. I'm just trying my best. And it, all of these are like everything he does. It is you know, the comic is called Endgame and so aptly done because even the sort of final fight scene a little bit before the Joker when all the villains come in, like he has to incorporate all the villains to help him fight because he's so outmatched. And it's just, yeah, it it really does, it does what it wants to do. And I think that it has the elements of Killing Joke in the right ways where Killing Joke is a self-contained story. Killing Joke, the way it ends, is kind of ambiguous, you know, Mm -hmm. Does he kill the Joker? Does he not? But at that point, you could totally understand Batman killing the Joker. Yeah. And in this one, he at certain points, you are like, he's going to kill the Joker or the Joker's going to kill him. As you say, he's got a playing card in his eye mm. and he bites Joker's ear. <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> you don't get much more final than that. No, you don't, no. But it is it, in a way, it's a fitting end because he gives his life for the city, doesn't he? Mm. He, he, he could kind of escape julie's like hook yourself into the line and i'll put i'll pull you out you can you can get out you know but he doesn't want to affect the sort of dionysian uh, sample that they're going to use to synthesize an antidote for the the joker uh, pathogen which will cure everyone in the city so if they just stand that up without him then it can go up there safe and unspoiled and uh, they can get to work and everyone will be saved whereas if he attaches himself to the line it could get ruined and there's no hope for anyone then because they can't go back because the, the ca- it's caving in, so they can't go back to that to that source. So he lit- he literally gives his life for the city, and what a perfect end! Like you said, like you talked earlier about the end of Dark Knight Rises. Again, we know with the benefit of the end of Dark Knight Rises that he actually didn't give his life; he faked his death. But he he sort of drew a line under he gave his life under the batman identity to save the city and here he does exactly the same you know and that's the that if, if he's ever going to die that is the perfect way for him to do it isn't it you know because his whole purpose in life has been to save his city to protect his city that's why he's batman and if it costs him his life at least it cost him his life doing the very thing that he swore to do perfect sacrifice isn't it Oh yeah, exactly. And it's once again, like the artwork in this is amazing. And there's another part I'm going to show you as well. I I imagine you probably picked this up, but I just want to see if you did. Uh, It is there. Mm -hmm. You've got the Joker and Batman laying in a pool of blood and it makes a little broken heart symbol. Yeah. And it's brilliant because it's at the end when Joker and Batman are just lying there next to each other and everything's caving in. Batman says he forgives Joker. And he's yeah. just like holding him there. And he's like, don't worry, Joker, I forgive him. And Joker's desperately trying to crawl to the, the last of the Dionysium. And he's going, no, you don't need to. It's fine. I know he's not being truthful in his necessary forgiveness, but he's kind of being like, it's fine, Joker. I believe you. You lived forever. It's okay, but we can stay here. I f- we can die together. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry I betrayed you as a friend, obviously referencing the earlier conversation where Joker's now trying to kill Batman because of all that. And he's trying to just hold him in place. And that kind of, he's accepted his own fate. Mm-hmm. so he's just holding the joker trying to stop him escaping and he's like i'm gonna die here and that's okay i'm gonna pull joker in and just keep him here and yeah. kind of subtly mock him in some yeah. ways while also probably giving himself some degree of catharsis as well trying to give himself some degree of emotional um 
acceptance of his own fate, like Batman almost talking to Bruce Wayne in a sense. I feel like it can work in both ways. What he's saying to Joker is almost what he's saying to himself. Like, it's okay, Bruce. It's okay, Batman. You've given your life for this. Yeah, that's fine. I forgive you. This is a valid time to die for the city. So it just works in so many layers of the imagery as well as the dialogue. And yeah, it's just, it's such a good end scene. I know it's not the end end scene, but as far as a joke, because this Joker fight goes on for a long time. Mm-hmm. There's several pages and things, and it is mm-hmm. brutal. And there's mm-hmm. parts where the Joker's got his mouth and it's like bleeding and stuff. It's it's so well done. Like, yeah. hard push to find a better Joker fight in, than in this. Yeah. Oh, it is. It's an absolute top draw way to end it um and again i I gather you haven't read what comes next after this per se have you and and i know what happens though i looked yeah yeah so obviously again i don't well we've spoiled the whole book so it doesn't matter readers but well in fact i don't want to spoil it in case we in case we sort of ourselves or someone else wants to cover it on the show so we'll, we'll leave it there but obviously there's a there is a degree of finality in the fact that they actually both do perish here. There's no escape route. There's no sort of alive under a, you know, a, a plethora of rocks or something like this. They actually both do expire here, but what's next to them, this Dionysium, what's that going to do? And then all the rest of it. Um, so the Batman, the Bruce Wayne, I should say, and the Joker that you get post this and nothing like, Batman and Joker you get at this moment so mm-hmm. it, it really is the end game because it, it literally is the end of these two characters because the characters they are post this uh, event are like blank slates of who they who they would have been if their lives hadn't taken the turn turns that they took again we'll we'll save that conversation for for another show because that is a whole show's uh, worth oh, yeah. of um, coverage in itself but it's um no it's good because I think it, it it's good it would have been a, not cheating the reader, but kind of an anticlimax if it had been your typical ending where Batman's found at the end under the rocks, barely clinging to life, but barely alive. And then shows him in a recovery bed at Wayne Manor for a few weeks. And then he's like on his feet in his dressing gown going, God, what, what a weekend that was. <laughs> and, and then um, they go, oh, um, Batman, you were unconscious when we pulled you out, but uh, Joker's body was nowhere to be found. Sorry, you know? And then it's like, oh, well, he's, he'll 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 appear at some point whereas at, at this thing they actually that is their end but mm. it's comic books so we know there's more to come but just a really cool way to to round the book up really well done really well structured and a great read really is top draw so i think on that note mike it's about time we gave our final scores we've i think we've pontificated on it enough and mm. um hopefully given the listeners something to enjoy and and hopefully made those who haven't read it want to read it we'll give our scores out of five you always get the big finish as the guest so i'm going to myself i'm going to give it i think four and a half out of five no actually no i'm going to give it five out of five five out of five i think it's a delicious payoff to that twisted rivalry i think snyder weaves a really interesting story keeps everybody guessing to the very end as we said the capullo's visuals are, are perfect for his sort of vivid imagination from that opening justice league fight slobberknocker to the climactic duel which is everything opposite that's an intimate one-on-one duel it's the highest quality stuff indeed sort of drawing the line under that area but laying the table for the next one very clever very grotesque violent mysterious it's a top tier run from the modern era it's got it all yeah five out of five for me what do you say sir 
I'm in agreement with you. I, I can't remember what I gave previous comics. I think I gave Killing Joke five. I, I yeah. can't remember if I gave Death of the Family a four, or four and a half or a five. I, I can't fully remember, but yeah. I, I think this is probably my favorite Batman comic of all the ones I've read. You know, Dark Knight Returns is monumental and important. It's got you know, the scene in that where, I won't spoil it, but there's something that happens to Joker right at the end there. The way it happens is incredible and the click is just like nothing else and with killing joke i think the killing joke is in a sense a perfect graphic novel but it is just its own insular story it's just there's no it's not there's no weight to it but it's it's simple but it does everything it wants to perfectly i find killing joke whereas what this does i think is this is like the evolution of the killing joke. And that's why I quite like the fact that it's kind of almost ending the trilogy of you and I talking about Joker and stuff where it started with the killing joke, which is the first Batman comic I read. Uh, and it goes to this where it's like for some, how it can hit all the right buttons for you, who is a veteran DC reader, who's read, you know, next, well, maybe not all of it. Cause I don't know if that's possible, <laughs> but so much of it. Yeah. Whereas with myself, who's just consumed mainly movie stuff, uh, a few video game things, and then bits and pieces it can, for both of us, still have the same level of impact, the same weight to it, and we appreciate the same, if not very, very similar aspects to it. I'd I'd find it very hard to find another comic that does that, because most of the time when you get massive comics that are really big, excluding The Killing Joke, I think, when you get some of the best Spider-Man stories, not every Spider-Man fan agrees that's the best story. When you get it with loads of other things as well, it's not usually it's like, oh, these five are the best. Oh, well, this one maybe not because of X, Y, Z. I I genuinely think the only flaw I think anyone could say about this is that on, I think, probably the f- maybe the fifth issue is not quite as fast-paced as the other ones. Right. That's probably the only criticism I can really think. And that's just because all the other issues are going 100 miles per hour and issue five is going like 90. So I just, it, you know, it's not that it's slow in any means. It's that's that's closest thing to the criticism I can say. And I just think that it works on so many levels and almost, I know there is a legacy after this, but as someone who hasn't read the other New 52 of the Batman things, and this still works and it still makes sense, it's, it, it, can you find another story, a movie or a comic or anything where you can only pick up really this one story arc and it works in its own complete way fully I don't I don't know. You know, there might be some Batman fans and things who read this and think it's too much violence or too much of this or too much of that. But I think if, if violence isn't a problem for you, I don't really see how someone could read this and at the very least not enjoy it. Yeah. So yeah, I, I think I'm giving this a five as well. I just think it's it is probably one of the best comics I've ever read. And on rereading it, it's it's even better, to be honest. Every age that I've read this now three times. First, you know, a year or so ago, then again a couple of weeks ago, and then like in the last week it's just phenomenal in so many levels and every read you find something new that's cool there's so many things in the background and for anyone who hasn't potentially read this there are there's so many elements you and i haven't tackled which i'm not going to now because we're at the end there's so many elements that things that you think are going to happen then don't and switch and so many characters that are in it and stuff and it's just there's so many layers to it It, you we could probably just talk about this thing for probably another two hours (laughs) so yeah five out of five for me it's just it's just excellent yeah, 100% agree with everything you've just said. A great book, a great modern uh, Batman story. Um, like you said, it's adult-oriented stuff. It's violent, it's gruesome, but it feels very authentic. It's so well-written, so well-paced, so well-rendered artistically. 
it's a perfect story from top to bottom. It's got, it has got something for everyone, I think. So, yep, couldn't agree more. It's a five star and it's an essential read for anyone out there. I recommend it. Any Batman fan, new or old, any comic book fan, new or old, or if anyone is a fan of just a good story, seek it out. Uh, you'll be glad you did, I would say. Well, Mike, thank you so much for coming on. As always, it's been an absolute treat to have you on, sir. As always, it's, it's always great to to uh, to do that so please let people know the floor is yours sir where they can find you on the social media where they can find your shows everything you've got going on plug away sir yeah cool so the best place to find what i'm up to um is at genuine chit chat on instagram twitter and on facebook um on all those places i post about star wars comics and canon i post the photos of the comics i do uh, and then i also post snippets for genuine chit chat they're normally about a minute long just of uh ones that come out so you get a little taster if you want to see um so genuine chit chat yep different guests on uh each episode a wide variety of guests authors filmmakers um i've authors filmmakers other podcasters uh, content creators travelers you name it i've just had loads of people on and there's still many more interesting people to come including uh, i had someone on uh, recently which was michael mccormick and he was a puppeteer for dark crystal and labyrinth which is one wow. of my top i love that he was so yeah. thrilling and there's actually a youtube version of that where he showed me some of his puppets as well so yes. you can yeah it's loads and loads of fun that one and uh, yeah styles comics and canon on this very feed of comics in motion every saturday and it's basically me going through the Star Wars comics. If you've never read a Star Wars comic in your life, we've read every single one, and I'd be impressed if you have. Uh, this is perfect for any reader because I go through the narrative, I give the story elements in sort of footnote form. I mention all the connective tissue of species and characters and things that come up in the comic. So it's perfect if you want to see how to get into comics and you can listen to the story without having to buy them all. So you get the general ideas of the stories and also you get all the connective tissue. So it's perfect if you're a veteran or a novice. Uh, And yeah, really aside from that, just follow me on social media and you'll be up to date with when I do guest spots and all those sorts of other things and you can always reach out to me. I'm happy to talk to many amount of people. I'm in a lot of Facebook Star Wars groups and I keep <laughs> I keep answering all these questions people have about the lore and things. So lots and lots of fun in that regard. And obviously, thank you, Max, for having me on the show. It is always absolutely delightful. And I'm sorry it took so long since the last one. We'll have to um, off air. I've got an idea for the next one. So yeah, I'm just thrilled to be able to chat with you. And it's always an absolute joy to be on Mandatory Marvel and DC. It's a joy to have you on, sir. It really is. Uh, I'm on social media at Maxi Byrne, M-A-X-Y-B-Y-R-N-E. If you go there, there's a link to various sort of websites. I write bits and bobs for comic book reviews, articles, etc. There's obviously a link to the Comics in Motion Twitter page, which is at Comics in Motion P. And you can get this on all good podcast catching apps uh, just search for comics in motion network where you'll find this show mike's aforementioned star wars comics and canon show and an absolute plethora of other shows incredibly diverse show now by um, a wide range of people great stuff whatever you taste is probably a show for you whether it's like we've said star wars whether it's comic books whether it's movies whether it's tv shows uh, whether you want to know about a specific superhero character uh, tv reviews anything and everything in between there's something for everyone on there now so it really is practically every day of the week there's a new show i think now so if uh, you subscribe to that you'll certainly get bang for your buck so check it out you'll be glad you did so mike once again thank you so much for coming on absolute privilege to have you on sir and yes we will do it again but a lot sooner than we did last time yes (laughs) (laughs) so thank you for everyone for listening hope you're well out there uh hope everyone's uh 
sort of re-entering normal life now as we appear to be at least uh, in uh, this part of the world and whatever part of the world you're listening to this on I hope obviously life is starting to make a, a turn for the better for everyone out there and we can go back to whatever normal was pre uh, COVID-19. I'm struggling to remember what that was, actually. It's so, so long ago. EC, before COVID. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That uh, the, the era before the uh, before it all uh, went tits up. But um, hopefully we're, uh, we're on the, uh, the final straight now. So, uh, you know, life can start to improve for a lot of us and we can uh, start to enjoy the things we all used to enjoy. So by all means out there, people do stay safe, though. There's still a bit to go. Stay safe. Do everything you need to do. Make yourself well look after everyone and we'll see you again further down the road okay thanks a lot guys bye for now bye because i'm a picker i'm a grinner i'm a lover and i'm a sinner i play my music in the sun i'm a joker i'm a smoker i'm a midnight toker i get my love and i'm